the words of Jesus are recorded in Matthew 5, 6. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he promises, for they will be filled. So let me ask you, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Because here comes your refill. Hey everyone, thanks for coming back to Get Your Refill. I'm going to try to uncover the depths of God's goodness in just 10 minutes. So here we go. God's goodness is one of the most basic standard beliefs about the God of the Bible. You know, most Christians will acknowledge this really without question, but I want to question it. Not because I don't believe it, but if we're to know God better and worship him better, then we should really test this idea and hold fast to that which is good. So first off, what do we mean by the word good? The concept of good is that out of all the possible outcomes, choices, or qualities that present themselves, when the best, most optimal condition is met or achieved, then it's good. So when we quote the psalmist in Psalm 34, 8 as saying, taste and see that Yahweh, the Lord, is good, what are we saying? What we're saying is that he's always correct. What he wants or wills is always righteous. He's always pure and blameless. His justice is always just. His holiness is never tarnished or wavering. God's actions are good, but that really only gets us halfway. You know, because, you know, as we said earlier, God isn't just loving, but he is love itself. So God doesn't just act good. He is good. He's not just following the rules to be called good, but rather he's the source of all that is good. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Good exists because God is good, and his very essence determines its existence. Without God, there would be no good. Okay, so then how can we say that God is good? And really what we do is, is we look at the world, and we, we turn on the news and we see that that this world that we live in right now is anything but good. And so one might think to themselves, how can we say that God is good if such a good God is apparently silent to such a dying world? But in truth, we must address and acknowledge the truth behind that statement. All the, all the evil, every hardship, every struggle, every misery stems from sin. That's the biggest problem we face. And what does the Bible say about sin? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, the results of sin, is what? It's death. Because of sin, our civilizations are decaying. There's a perversion of goodness and truth. Mankind is depraved. But it's also, and this is the most important consequence, sin causes an eternal death. It creates an infinite, impassable chasm between you and and goodness personified. And so knowing this, what we need to do is ask ourselves, did this good God do anything to fix the corruption of Genesis 3? Did he do anything to solve the problem of sin? And yes, he did. God knowing that entrenched in sin, we were powerless to do anything about it. God stepped off of his throne and stepped into our mess and onto the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God then in his infinite goodness 
justice and love and sovereignty emptied his wrath on Jesus. So that 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So yes, this good God did do something about the corruption of his creation, of his image bearers, of his goodness. And he did that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, after hearing all this, you might say to yourself, I know that God is good, but how does this help me in the present? You know, I have eternal hope and assurance, but right now my life is difficult. And, and I'm just wondering really where God is and why he isn't making my life easier. And you're not alone in thinking that. God hears you just as he did for Asaph in Psalm 73. Now I'm going to read this to you because I, you know, you can't get better than reading the Bible. So this is Psalm 73. This is the New Living Translation. So feel free to read this with me. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. I, I get that. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. And their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet still I belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Now, did you notice that in verse 1 through 16, Asaph is just voicing all the hardships that, that we really all experience, that thoughts that we've all had. But then in verse 17, it all changes. All of Asaph's grumblings stop as soon as he starts worshiping God. You know, worship changes our perspective. We can see that God is sovereign, meaning we're not alone. 
we can see that God is working, meaning this isn't the end. We can see that God is love, meaning God cares about us. And we can see that God is good, meaning that what we're struggling with, with the evils we're experiencing, it's not pointless. Read all of 2 Corinthians 4, but I'm going to end with verses 16 through 18. This is what Paul says, Therefore do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank God that he is good, that we can rely on his goodness and know that he is working. He's not silent. He's not sitting idle. He cares about you and he's good. Have a great, great week. I'll see you next time.